Hello, Ollie. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch. This is your Mr. Robot recap podcast brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, people might know that we're in the midst of a, a heat wave that is just coming to an end. It is almost October, but it was uh, 30 degrees Celsius until very recently. And 40 occasionally. Yeah, which is nuts. So it's finally starting to get cold, and I'm building a, a very cyberpunk fall wardrobe I'm pretty excited about. Sweet. It looks great. <laughs> Thanks. So um, is there any song from this episode you'd like to highlight? Yeah. So on my uh, theme of loving all the sweet 80s music in the show, the song is Walking in My Shoes by Depeche Mode. I think that song actually came out in 1993. Remember when I also thought that Mr. Robot's tour was obviously from the 80s, but it was in fact 1994 the whole time? Yeah, we both thought that. I guess we both overlooked those several posters that said 1994 on them. Also, apparently, I have the ability to collapse uh, 10 years into a single moment. So, uh, yeah, that sweet 90s music <laughs> that I love so much. I love that 90s music. So to actually continue with the storyline... Um, this is episode nine, by the way. Oh, yes. Important detail. And it's called Init 5. Cool. So we have um, Elliot. Uh, he's being arrested. And this kind of picks up from uh, two episodes ago. It's interesting that they reveal to you that he's been in jail and then make you wait another full episode with no mention of that whatsoever before they actually kind of unfold that revelation to you so here's where we finally get the rest of the information about what happened there and it's so good to finally get some closure there he's so this is a flashback to his arrest and subsequent sentencing right um what's it for well it's not for <laughs> what we think it's for because initially although we see them still investigating it you sort of assume that maybe there's been also you're not sure where you are in the timeline anymore but that perhaps he's been arrested for something to do with the 5-9 hack and that all of those consequences have fallen upon him. But that's not the case at all. It's something way weirder and more trivial than that. It's Michael Hansen's revenge. There should be, that would be like the name of my ship. <laughs> the Michael Hansen's revenge. Or, or maybe it's a disease. I don't know. It sounds like a disease. <laughs> because what he's actually going to jail for is for larceny for stealing his dog and also uh, i think they just refer to the charges computer hacking for hacking his personal private information yeah it's worth saying that maybe he didn't need to go to jail though his lawyer and mr robot for that matter were both instructing him to plead not guilty but he pleads guilty instead well i think this is part of what he has said in conversations with angela or when he addresses the viewer directly that he needed this opportunity to get better because he's really suffering in the episodes leading up to what we now know as his incarceration. So he's trying to use it as an opportunity to take himself out of the life that he has, recover a little bit, and then re-enter the world. And now he has been sentenced to 48 months that he has to do that. So let's put together some of the pieces that were left kind of hanging out there after the FBI breaks up uh, Ray's operation. Henchman 1 actually turns out to be a CO. Yeah. 
Uh, Ray is, in fact, the warden of the prison. So that explains how he's able to abuse his power in such a way, because if he's the top dog, I mean, who can challenge him? And the CEO has to answer to him. Leon is just the guy who's in front of him in line when they're getting jumpsuits. Um, Leon has some advice for him. Uh, maybe he's a frequent flyer, shall we say? But he's got some prison advice for Elliot. He has a bunch of advice. I think the one thing that really stands out, though, is that he says that um, it's all about finding a routine. He says the routine is key. And Elliot really takes that to heart because he builds a very comprehensive daily routine of going to lasagna, going to basketball. And he does that the entire duration of his prison sentence. What really anchors this moment in time is that Leon is just about to start watching Seinfeld. In the wake of the 5-9 hack, the CO who's giving Elliot back his belongings uh, lets him know that, in fact, a lot of nonviolent offenders are being released early because the whole system is in chaos. And when he returns his E-Corp credit card to him... Doesn't work. And he asks if he wants to keep it as a souvenir or destroy it. <laughs> Who wouldn't want an E-Corp credit card as a souvenir? We'll frame it and put it in the family album. So Elliot serves only 86 days. Now, I think we all have the insight, of course, that White Rose has something to do with the early release but this is the cover story and that will do for everyone's public purposes now the title of this episode is init five and elliot starts to talk a little bit about it here because he says that it brings color and sound can you maybe um tell lay people like me a little bit about what that means <laughs> well we had talked about init before in the context of init one and i think that i might have misinterpreted it at that time because i i took it to mean um PID1, which is to say the very first process that runs on your computer is called init, and it kind of handles starting up the system, and um, it, it also does some maintenance as it's running. But init5 doesn't make sense in that context, so I think that what they're referring to actually is something called run levels, where um, you have levels from 0 to 6, which kind of are different states that the system can be in, and 5 is when it's fully booted up, you have a graphical display, and you have color and sound coming out of your computer. So I guess that's what his release feels like. I like that Darlene comes to meet him. What I don't like, this is just a device I don't like in television shows, is that she whispers to something that the viewer can't hear. I didn't notice that. And I hate that. She also brought him something to eat, which I think, uh, because you are my brother, if I ever go to prison for any duration... Um, I would like you to please bring me some food uh, the second that I am released. Well, you need to tell me about food. Um, I don't know. We ordered Indian for lunch. That's pretty good. Yeah, we have like a whole heap of Indian food in front of us right now. You know, now, something, something like that. Something uh, delicious and spicy. What would you bring me? Oh, what would I bring you? I feel like... Cookies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except it would actually be squares because I always burn cookies when I make them. So yeah, for sure. For sure. It'd be something like that. The next scene is a bit puzzling because we are faced with the sort of receptionist in an office that we're not familiar with. And what this is, is a real good opportunity for um, badass Nancy Drew, Angela. To, she's great. She's great to get up to some sneaky stuff. So she manages to trick the assistant into giving her access to... It's a lawyer's office, I believe, or, or at least the general counsel for a company's well, office. All she really has to do is get the receptionist out of the picture, which she does by saying that she's waiting downstairs with the delivery. And once she has a moment of privacy, she's able to go into the office. 
And that's when she deploys the rubber ducky from the femtocell episode. Yeah, so that rubber ducky, we've kind of been wondering what's going to come out of that. She uses it here to um, exfiltrate data that pertains to Sludgegate. What I like is that Angela is not always shown as a technically proficient character and certainly not in comparison to Darlene or Elliot you know they often show her as much less competent so I think she pulls this off in a very competent way she did but also there like she's a really good hacker but there still is a separate league between her and Darlene and Elliot because she's kind of just using like windows dragging and dropping files from point a to point b she's not really like dropping zero days like Elliot would in spite of that, she does get access to what she came for. So when she is able to access, this is Joseph Green, the name of the um, person that she's stolen the data from. They're dealing with the Flint water um, contamination case. And what she's able to secure here are all of the background confidential documents related to Sludgegate. So she's still on that mission and she's looking for ways to follow through on her promises there. Elliot and Darlene are now on the subway. Darlene has a little paranoid. Well, actually, both of them are. They're afraid that they might be tailed by the FBI or somebody else. And Darlene is especially afraid of the Dark Army. But Elliot tells her that she doesn't really have anything to worry about because the Dark Army was actually behind his early release from prison. They are still afraid that they're being followed, though, so they take a quick detour through, uh, I think it's like a retirement home. So it's the retirement home I have written here. It's not even the crooked home from 60 Minutes. I don't get it. It's a Simpsons joke <laughs> about where they're going to put grandpa. Oh, nice. You know, like it's something like, you know, if you don't shape up, I'm going to put you in the crook at home from 60 minutes. That's pretty funny, actually. Like now that I know it's a Simpsons reference, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it all makes sense in context. Um, when they're at the retirement home, Darlene waits in the stairwell. She does not go to see their mother who lives there. Yeah, she didn't even think that um, Elliot's plan was to meet her. Maybe because they both realized that that's not really something either of them would want to do. But Elliot stops in there and he has a, a quick and very one-sided chat. Because his mother doesn't speak at all. So she's sitting in a room. The clock is broken. And of course, clocks are a recurring symbol. And I don't know if that's because she's not progressing along with the storyline. She's sort of frozen in a certain place in their memory. And that's how that character informs the story. But Elliot says he'll have someone repair the clock and thanks her for helping him survive the last couple of months, even though that, of course, was part of his imagined reality. It's a very brief visit, and then they move on. Now we come back to White Rose, who we haven't seen in a little while. They're being joined by their assistants out in the cemetery. I know. I don't know how to characterize. I have male companion. I don't know how to characterize who that person is to White Rose. They're at a graveyard where they have stopped so morbid to visit the grave of the previous CEO of E-Corp who died in 1995. Yeah, and they're not there to leave flowers or anything. Oh, no, 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 because this initially male companion one refers to their death in a plane accident. And White Rose says, oh, I hate that word. He doesn't believe in accidents. Well, and I think what's implied there is this was certainly no accident. Yeah, it seems like the previous CEO had maybe threatened White Rose's plans with uh, the Washington Township plans. And she gets a symbolic sort of revenge on him at this moment. <laughs> yeah, it's quite explicit, I guess. She just pisses all over the grave. Yep. That was awkward. That was awkward. There's no unawkward way to move on from that scene. 
So speaking of awkward peeing scenes, this one cuts straight from White Rose to Elliot in the bathroom at uh, Cisco's place with Darlene. Cisco and Darlene are fighting. I find I like the Cisco character quite a bit. This is a bit of a tangent, but... I like him a lot, too. Yeah, like he just, he seems competent and he seems loyal. Well, I guess the whole baseball bat incident calls that into question, <laughs> but um, but also kind of caring. So I find it interesting that he's often making an effort to protect Darlene. Mr. Robot is trying to calm them down and he seems surprised to see Elliot which I think points to a bit of a division and a lack of um, synchronizing in yeah. their thought and movement right now. There is a literal division here because um, Mr. Robot is outside talking to Angela, sorry, talking to Darlene and Cisco while Elliot is still in the closed bathroom. So they're in separate rooms at this time. Something that's important to know about this scene is that they, the three of them in the room have a concern that Trenton and Mobley are perhaps in the, uh, the custody is that the euphemism I'll use of the dark army. And so they need to get some more information to try to make sure that their friends are safe or at very least not um, potentially in a harmful situation. Right. So they're tapping Cisco's connection to the dark army to see if they can get any more information from them. Cisco acknowledges that this is being set up and they're going to meet with Elliot and Elliot says something very perplexing back to him. No, they're going to meet with Mr. Robot. Yeah, Cisco is very perplexed by that. Very perplexed. Not enough to call any of this off, uh, however, but uh, certainly a confusing moment for him. So this next scene takes place between Price and Minister Zhang. The cinematography in it makes it one of my favorite scenes in the entire second season. You kind of see them walking around just with these two black umbrellas. The shots are very, very wide and you don't really get a good look at any of them. I wonder if there was any symbolism with um, the black umbrellas and black hats because these are two villains here who are out talking. Also, little thing we noticed in this rainy day scene... There's no actual rain falling on the <laughs> I, scene. I think it's actually supposed to be raining. So that's what a, a programmer might call an implementation detail because they just didn't get it in the actual editing. We do have the sound of rain, though. It's a very peaceful, quiet rainfall. They're having a very serious conversation, which I love because this is really a conversation about brinksmanship. But they're just strolling along very peacefully. Interesting point that ties back into the Angela plotline. Zhang says that Price's little pet project is better than they thought, but it won't matter. So I have a broader theory, which I'll expand upon in my uh, season three prediction um, later, that Angela is not going to be as pivotal to things as we move forward in the show. Again, just theory from me. I am really curious where this is going to go because we don't really get any payoff in this scene. There's no particular payoff. There is, however, a bit more information. So... The Washington Township plant authority over that is about to be assumed by the feds. And that is near and dear, well, to Zhang and to White Rose, as we know. They react badly because Zhang says that uh, Price's actions have begun to remind him of his predecessor. Which is a bit of a, a veiled death threat. <laughs> well, Price calls it out for that. And he also says that he doesn't care. I think that Price knows a lot more about uh, Zhang than he leads on. Because he hints that maybe they were behind the shootout in China. And maybe he even knows that they were behind the, uh, the accidents that the previous CEO was on. And sorry, you can't see the scare quotes that I just did while I was saying accident there. It's hard to speak scare quotes. Accident. <laughs> 
accident. <laughs> Price is pissy because he really needed that bailout from the Chinese government and it didn't go. So he's in desperate need of cash and it's causing him to act a bit desperately. He wants to know if the Chinese government can still do it, which would let him save the plant from oversight and administration by the federal government. So now there's kind of a way for them both to help out each other. Zhang says they'll do it, but that he can't touch the plant, which makes me really wonder what that plant is for and why it's important to anybody. I like I like Price here. He's such a good villain. Yeah, he's fantastic. And the acting is just phenomenal. When like when he says he's a mercenary and when he threatens to rain chaos. I loved it. It did seem kind of like a little over the top as they do sometimes, but it was cool to see Price get angry because normally he's a little more collected in this. One point that's resonant here because it's Zhang who's uh, in the scene, but Price says that he's out of time. He checks his watch and leaves first. Power play there. We have a bit of a an amendment to make to what I previously thought was Cisco handing Elliot a piece of paper to set up a meet. I think, in fact, was information that was useful for the hack he undertakes in this next scene. Yeah, I, I think that he's trying to remotely hack uh, Jun to avoid the trouble of actually needing to meet him in person. They're able to get a live connection to his microphone. So he's successful. He's getting the information that he wants. And now I guess they really have a live stream of all of these dark army conversations. And Darlene gets exposed to some sort of weird stuff later in the episode as she's monitoring (laughs) it. I noticed in this the separation between Elliot and Mr. Robot is getting a bit glitchy. And it's not always information isn't always reliably passed between them. And control doesn't always seem to be clearly established. So that's I'm not sure if it's the pressure that's causing that the pressure that's on them in the situation but it's certainly getting a little less stable we have a quick scene here where we uh, visit angela for a little while she's down at the nuclear regulatory committee and she's brought in all of those documents that she's still using the rubber ducky so she's taken a bit of a road trip um, but what she's been able to establish with the help of those documents that she stole is that the washington township plant is emitting levels of toxicity that are well above the regulated levels. So they're very interested in it. They think it does represent a clear threat to public safety. They leave her in a waiting room where she sits with a ticking clock until the next scene that we see her in. I think we have uh, an amendment to our earlier amendment we've been having a bit of a conversation offline about the phone hacking scene yeah and i think i just need to admit that i have no idea what's going on here i think i'm a bit confused about what's actually in play (laughs) um and what the goal of it is besides i know somehow they need to get access to jun stuff and i know that gets some audio information and i will not pretend that i understand (laughs) the rest yeah so key points things you definitely understand They've hacked his phone, they're organizing a meeting, and they're planning to listen in on it over that phone. There is an Elliot subway scene here, and there's no way I'm going to be able to describe it in a way that's kind of is, has as much impact as when you see it, because we've been talking a bit about the instability between Elliot and Mr. Robot, and it becomes really clear to us there's a problem, because Elliot's on the subway, sees Cisco and Mr. Robot talking to each other, in the next car 
Yeah, this is a lot like when um, Elliot was using the bathroom in Cisco's place earlier and walked outside to find Mr. Robot, because they're so thoroughly disconnected that they're physically in different rooms. But unlike before when he was able to open the door and go see Mr. Robot, now they're completely separated from each other. Let's cut to Darlene, who's at Cisco's apartment, and Darlene is scanning and listening to all of June's conversations, looking for information. Uh, the information that she gets is not the information that she wants. <laughs> it was pretty funny, though, if a little awkward. Yeah, I mean, uh, they have a great conversation about someone or others' um, foot fetish. Darlene, so she's watching the news, and one of the things I notice is in the news, the hashtag Decrypt America now. <laughs> we should use that for our promotions. We should. I, I wonder if it's already caught on on Twitter. We'll find out. Darlene has a pretty startling realization when she goes to look for the VHS tape that the Fifth F Society video is made on, and it's not there because she has lost it. Before we look at this next scene, I want to take you back into the previous episode where Darlene intercepts Cisco's communications with the Dark Army. So there are a couple of creepy things in there. Uh, he's been sending pictures of her sleeping. Uh, he's watching her movements. He also gets this uh, a green light. Stage two is ready and the back door is in play. I think a lot of us have questions about what stage two means when Cisco and Elliot go to confront June, or maybe meet with June, maybe it's not such a confrontation. He's got uh, two dark army henchmen. I suppose they should be two and three, respectively. <laughs> We've already used that henchman one. I think we used it twice. They could be really henchmen three and four. Yeah. So many henchmen. They say they're not expecting him and they go to leave. Elliot just shouts at them, though, before they get a chance. He shouts, tell White Rose I want to know what stage two is. Earlier we saw Angela at the, is it the Nuclear Regulatory Committee? Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Commission. I believe. Okay. And um, there wasn't really much that came out of that scene, but it's starting to pay off now because she's meeting with the director. The director has a few questions. One of the things she's not able to satisfy for Angela, Angela wants to be anonymous. She wants to report this, but she's trying to protect herself. And what she's told is that anonymity is a nice idea. And when she's um, waiting before the director comes up to her, she kind of notices that there are cameras all over the place. So I think that she's kind of starting to realize that maybe um, these people know more about her than she thinks. They know a lot more about her than she assumes because they know her name. They know that she works at E-Corp. They have details that Angela never shared with them. So she gets a little crept out and I think she just decides to leave. Hard bail on that one for Angela. I'm not sure if she was able to get back with documents. I didn't look at that, but that's a big deal. It seems that she leaves without them because she asks for them back and then they make it difficult for her. So I think she just walks out. I mean, she may have retained a digital copy, but it does seem that a copy is left in their hands. Let's look back where we left Darlene, who is freaking out because she's lost the last F Society video, which they make on VHS. Very cute. <laughs> yeah, except in the scene, it's not cute because they obviously have to find this physical object, which has her face in it, has their prints all over it. This is a real mess. She she knows she left it at the safe house. Yeah, at least she has a good idea about where it is. And in fact, if you watch uh, the earlier episode, you can see exactly where the VHS falls off the counter. Cisco is a pretty good foot soldier in all areas, so he agrees that he'll go back and get it 
So Darlene and Elliot are left hanging out at the apartment. This we notice, remember we talked about the distinction between Elliot and Mr. Robot being fragile in this episode? So you actually see that it cuts back and forth in the conversation between how he's physically represented. Yeah, as Elliot and Darlene are talking here, Elliot kind of switches places with Mr. Robot continuously. They ultimately decide that Elliot should probably go home, though, because they think that he's under surveillance and kind of needs to seem as as normal as possible. Cisco, however, went back to the smart house to try and pick up that tape. It actually was where Darlene left it, so that's uh, some pretty good luck for them. Uh, I have a note here that just says, what's he looking at? We don't really find out in this episode, do we? No, we just get uh, creepy foreshadowing, which we'll see again before the end of the episode. Let's flip over. We haven't had a lot of Dom in the last couple episodes. Unfortunately, because she's such a great character. She just interests me so much. She is continuing her weird uh, soft slash hard sell to Angela by showing up at her house with dinner. And she just kind of like invites herself in and starts unpacking the meal it's fairly brazen i think that it's intended to show to angela that dom can kind of do what she wants if she wanted to come back anytime she could i think she is trying to send that message the other thing with her she is softer so in contrast to the way she deals with mobley which is pretty forceful even though i think she probably has just as much or more dirt on angela she doesn't play hardball with her no she actually gets one of the euros from her favorite greek restaurant that she went to <laughs> with agent bro one right yes and it is euro right I euro think. yeah because in seinfeld they call it gyro and i was wondering i think that's like saying jalapeno <laughs> like it's like funny but it's not correct <laughs> you know um Dom tells her about a very rare dream that she had. Because previously she says that she doesn't dream. And she does acknowledge that it's very rare in the conversation. And obviously this is a pointed metaphor meant to steer Angela in the right, well, what Dom thinks is the right direction. She says it's a dream that is at first good and then she's being choked underwater. And then when she stops fighting it, she's able to survive. Now, of course... Dom wants Angela to cooperate. So she tells her that uh, Ollie immediately snitched. As we should have anticipated. That guy, I was like, what's a metaphor about something that rolls over easily? Um, Uh, All right, forget I started down that road. I (laughs) can't think of anything. Um, What's what's the skateboard thing when you do a... Is it called an ollie? No, an an, an ollie is like when you... It's like a jump, I guess. When Uh, you leave the ground... A kickflip? Kickflip? Yeah. So a kickflip. Ollie that rolls over. (laughs) That's the first thing he tells Dom. That's not shocking for any of us. What might surprise you um, is that Angela is being tracked. So they're well aware that she went to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. All of this is going to catch up to Angela. Dom, I don't know why she's there to give her an out. Because obviously they're building a very strong case. And her sense is that it's going to pan out. Yeah, Dom actually says that um, she's kind of giving her an easy option here. Because if she doesn't cooperate, then there will be agents knocking down the door. So that does make me wonder what's in it for Dom. Or why does she prefer to give Angela the easy route? I really wonder about that. I know that sometimes Dom identifies with certain people she's interrogating to a high level. And I don't know if that's what's happening here. But she basically says Angela still has a chance. And she actually seems kind of put out when Angela throws her out. Yeah. She just leaves her card behind. 
Does she leave the euros though? It'd be pretty rude, I guess, to pack them back up. <laughs> there are just a couple more scenes left in this episode, and next we see Darlene. Once again, she's listening in on June, and now she's actually hearing um, some discourse with White Rose as well. June is explaining that Cisco brought Elliot to the meeting. White Rose says that his question, Elliot's question, doesn't make sense because yes. stage two is his plan. One of the questions White Rose has is, did he ask about the others? Because remember, a couple of the team are still missing. No, he didn't make any inquiry about them. Which is funny because our interpretation was that he was meeting them to ask about them and they're not even on his mind. Well, I think that whole meeting went off the rails, right? Because they <laughs> they bailed, the Dark Army folks pulled the plug almost immediately. So there's not really an opportunity to even get that far. One thing that's interesting here is White Rose really acknowledges Elliot's importance and skill. Yeah, they advise June just to shut down the phone because they think that no matter how much you check it, no matter how thorough you are in your security, somebody as skilled as Elliot can probably break in. And he has. So White Rose, their intuition is right here. So let us close off this scene where, so Darlene is intercepting this transmission, right? She's listening to it. And as she hears all of this come in, someone is knocking at her door. The episode wraps up with Elliot, who we hear a bit of a voice overlay in the scene. Yeah, I really like some of the things he says that kind of um, shine some light into Elliot's personality. He says that normalcy is not really a thing that exists for him. He's also surprised when he hears what he describes as the SUV of the man he murdered pulling up out front of his apartment. So there we have an admission that Elliot thinks that he murdered Tyrell. We hear the window roll down and the last words we hear in the episode are, Hello, Ollie. Thanks for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode in downtown Toronto. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd encourage you to contribute to Black Boys Code. This is an organization that leads young black men to become tech leaders. Their website is blackboyscode.org. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. Bonsoir.